0: Welcome to the Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcast, giving you the latest evidence-based research and cutting-edge insights for elite
1: mental and physical performance. He's connecting you directly with the world's leading experts and coaches. Here's your host, Dr. Bubbs.
0: Welcome to Episode 7 of the Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcast. I'm really excited today to have on a good friend and world-leading protein expert, Dr. Tyler Churchward-Venn. Tyler and I go back to our days at the Charles Poliquin Performance Centre here in Toronto. And he is currently finishing his postdoctoral research fellow in nutrition and exercise metabolism at the prestigious Maastricht University in Holland. He's formerly of McMaster University here in the Toronto area, working with such luminaries as Stu Phillips. And today he's going to discuss all things protein. What is that minimal effective dose of protein around meals or exercise? How much leucine the all-star BCAA. Do we really need to trigger all of these positive benefits? He'll touch into some key principles of hypertrophy feeding in terms of protein intake. We'll look at the benefits of protein intake for weight loss, its effects on metabolism, satiety, and, of course, nutrient density. And he'll also touch into the benefits of protein for overall health. So as usual, check out my take-homes at drbubs.com forward slash podcast for my layups, the simple, easy, actionable tips you can incorporate tomorrow to see benefit, as well as my performance hacks. Hope you enjoy the show. Awesome, Tyler. Thanks so much for uh, taking the time out to join us today. How are you doing, bud? I'm good, Mark. How are you, buddy? I'm very good. How is life out in Europe? You're doing some uh, pretty deep research out there in in Holland. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I... um... I'm, I'm coming over
1: here uh, from McMaster University, uh, where I did a, a PhD with um, Stuart Phillips, and I'm here in McMaster University in, in the Netherlands. I'm currently working as a postdoc here uh, with uh, Luke Van Loon. Um, a lot of my research here focuses on protein metabolism, and what I'm specifically interested in is looking at the impact of nutrition, exercise, also aging, on basically how uh, how those factors regulate um, muscle protein synthesis, muscle protein breakdown, um, muscle mass ultimately. So that, uh, that research keeps me busy here for sure.
0: I bet. I mean, coming from, uh, you know, Stu Phillips and those guys there at, uh, at McMaster, that's a pretty impressive group there. Um, you guys must've been digging into some interesting studies and in, in, on muscle metabolism and exercise.
1: Yeah. Uh, I was, you know, very fortunate to, to have the opportunity to, um, work with Stu, Stu at Mac. And, you know, that was where I pretty much, uh, learned everything I, I know now, um, you know, working with uh, colleagues, uh, Nick Bird, uh, Dan West, uh, Cam Mitchell, uh, Lee Breen, those are, those are other guys in the field that um, I had the opportunity to, to work with. And uh, yeah, we, we did you know, quite a bit of research there. Most of what I did during my PhD focused on sort of the interaction between nutrition um, and exercise um, and how they regulate uh, muscle protein synthesis I did a lot of work looking at the amino acid leucine um, as well as uh, an amino acid called citrulline um, and the potential of those amino acids to sort of enhance your body's uh, capacity to synthesize muscle tissue um, you know, at rest when you're just kind of hanging out and also after exercise weight.
0: Awesome. I, I think those are some pretty key uh, key areas that I know our listeners are going to want to dive into a little bit deeper because obviously protein is a huge topic with respect to athletes, people training intensely, and even the average person uh, who might even be scared of eating too much protein for fear of their health. Um, but why don't we even just start out with, uh, you, you mentioned leucine. You know, There's this idea around a dose of leucine that's just the, the ideal dose to really stimulate muscle protein synthesis. Is there such a dose? And if so, uh, what is it?
1: Yeah, good good question. Well, basically, some of the research I did showed that um, if you basically take a small amount of of protein, let's say about 5 or 6 grams, which if you take whey will contain maybe about 0.6 grams of leucine, and you you supplement that dose with crystalline leucine or free leucine up to about 3 grams, which is what you might find in around about a 25-gram dose of whey protein, Um, the muscle protein synthesis response is more or less equivalent when you assess it uh, under resting condition, uh, meaning sort of in the absence of exercise. And, you know, previous work out of uh, uh, McMaster by uh, Dan Moore and also Stu Phillips showed that around 20 grams of protein seem to be the, the dose that would sort of maximize your body's ability to synthesize muscle after exercise. Other studies have looked at sort of adding leucine to that dose i.e. to a 20-gram dose, and it doesn't seem to be effective in that case. Once you've sort of um, given around probably about between 2 and 3 grams of leucine, um, it seems to kind of maximize the response. But if you give sort of a quote-unquote suboptimal amount of protein and you you supplement it with leucine, then that's where the the effect of leucine starts to kind kind of manifest. Uh, but there are a few um, kind of caveats to that. One is that if you're an elderly individual, there seems to be some evidence that you benefit from higher amounts of leucine after after exercise, um, and also at rest. Um, and part of that might be due to um, as you become a bit older, your muscle sort of sort of loses its sensitivity to the um, anabolic effects of of amino acids, and that's been referred to uh, sort of in the science world as anabolic
0: resistance gotcha gotcha yeah. so in terms of the leucine then I mean for the average person who's training or an athlete you know that getting up to that three gram dose we're not seeing any greater increases by going to five or six grams you're seeing different supplements now who are really trying to to sort of jack that dose up so
1: yeah I mean th- those are good questions I think if you're just um, looking at ingesting protein by itself after exercise probably the amount that you would find in a high quality protein source such as whey um, about a twenty 20- 20-gram dose of whey, 25-gram dose of whey, anywhere between about 2.5 to 3 grams of leucine is is enough. Um, I I followed up on some of that work and and looked at um, sort of a similar scenario when you ingest protein more within the context of sort of mixed macronutrient intake. So when you're ingesting protein, but also additional carbohydrate and fat. And when you throw in um, other macronutrients, that can kind of alter... um, likely the the digestion and absorption of protein to a certain extent, and likely the appearance of of amino acids from that protein into your body. And so, you know, within the context of of a complete meal, it may actually be that you may need a little bit more uh, leucine in order to reach a certain threshold in the plasma, which, you know, we think is is involved in in serving as a signal to your muscle to say, okay, let's... um, let's start synthesizing muscle protein. We have access to food, we have access to essential
0: amino acids and leucine. So uh, let's, let's start making muscle. Awesome, I, uh, I'm circling around to a couple questions here. Don't so worry. this is this is great stuff. So one of them you mentioned, obviously getting to that therapeutic dose of leucine. And of course we see more and more athletes and, and regular folk now being more sensitive to whey or experiencing digestive disturbance. So they move over to vegetarian type proteins, you know, pea, rice, hemp, et cetera. Um, would adding that leucine to those proteins give us some of that benefit? Because we we know in the literature that vegetarian proteins tend to be not as effective as whey. Uh, would, would adding some BCAAs or some of that leucine mitigate that, that difference?
1: That's a good question. That's, uh, that is a good question. Um, possibly. Possibly. Um, and I think when you, when you compare, um, there's some work done in, in the United States from Texas, from uh, the group of... Uh, Blake Rasmussen, they've done some work looking at protein blend um, versus whey. So they've compared, for example, a blend of of whey, casein, and soy. And uh, when you match the total leucine content between that protein blend and uh, whey, you more or less achieve a a pretty equivalent response. So it may be that either ingesting more of a plant-based protein in order to bring up the the essential amino acid content that you're consuming and the leucine content that could be one option so maybe with a plant-based protein obviously yeah you need to probably ingest a little bit more in order to bring up the response um because you yeah, know factors such as the source of protein that you're ingesting are going to to impact the capacity of your body to, to build muscle so yes supplementing with leucine could be could be an option but there's not a lot of, of data to, to really sort of support it at this point. Um, the other interesting thing is we really don't know that much about the different sources of plant-based proteins in terms of their capacity to support um, gains in muscle mass with exercise or even stimulate protein synthesis. In the literature right now, looking at humans, I mean the, the most studied protein is soy, um, and there was a study published actually from from the lab on the member of here um, on wheat protein. But other proteins, um, in terms of their to, uh, you know, stimulate muscle protein synthesis, um, hemp, quinoa, pea, I mean, those those haven't been looked at. So there's really a need to kind of look at some of those proteins.
0: Awesome. And one of the things I wanted to, 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 you touched on there, this idea of even food versus supplements. So is there a, you know, we tend to think of 30 grams of protein. This is this myth around that you can only absorb that, you know, in one serving. Right. Now, is is that myth or or fact? But you can only
1: absorb thirty grams in a serving. Yeah, uh, I would say that's myth.
0: Um, yeah, I definitely. know the guys at the International Society of Sport Nutritionists—they're—they're—they're uh, they're, they're whacking out their sixty-gram uh, steaks there, and and they're not—they're not afraid. But I was wondering if there's, if supplement wise, would you say like that's where sometimes we see some spillover in the urine in clinic here if we do urinalysis, analysis. Is there a, is there kind of an upper threshold? I know forty grams for men has sort of seemingly been an upper threshold. Is there anything that you're seeing or uh, your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah,
0: I mean, so as I mentioned
1: before, I mean, if, if we're you know a lot of the research I do is kind of honing in on on muscle and looking at um, how the muscle responds to to ingested protein or amino acids. So. Um, what we know now is that about 20 to 25 grams of protein after exercise or even at rest appears to kind of maximize your body's ability to synthesize muscle protein. Things may change if you do, let's say, a full-body workout. There was a study published recently uh, towards the end of last year that looked at full-body exercise. So when you're activating, let's say, not only your legs, like what a lot of studies do, but um, let's say your legs are training the quadriceps or the hamstring group. You know, your pecs, your lats, your back, um, biceps, triceps, you know, the whole shebang. Um, and under that circumstance, it may be actually the higher doses of protein can be can be utilized. And and as I mentioned before, elderly adults, I mean, you know, studies have shown, you know, anywhere up to 40 grams, um, the elderly appear more responsive and better able to to utilize higher doses even in the young, and that's, again, due to this anabolic resistance so because they're a bit less sensitive to the amino acids, it's like they need more of a stimulus in order to really get the system going so you know
0: but that's a that's a really great point for not only trainers but i mean we've got a lot of doctors and gps listening and you know we know protein intake in the older in the elderly population is kind of that classic what they call the tea and toast diet where all of a sudden they're not we're not eating much food so that's really really great point that we got to be what you're saying is sort of jacking up the intake there for our uh, for our masters and seniors. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I mean, it's, it's, it's the only problem though is, I mean, if you have like a, let's say an 85 year old woman who's 55 kilos, it's, it's really hard to ingest about 40 grams of protein in every meal. Uh, that's a lot for of sure. steak. That's a lot of chicken. So it's, it's, a, bit of a, <laughs> it's a bit of a catch-22. And, and, I mean, coming back to, to what I mentioned before, I mean, that was part of the interest around looking at the capacity to kind of enhance these suboptimal doses. If we can take, let's say, 10 grams of, of protein in an elderly adult and add a, something like leucine, and, it, and it, you know, it's just as effective as a 40-gram dose, um, that could be really useful. Um, and there is some, some work, actually, yeah, from this, from this group uh, by a colleague of mine named Ben Wall, uh, where they looked at um, adding leucine Um, to protein in in older adults. And they they did see an increase um, in um, the body's capacity to sort of uh, take up the ingested
0: uh, protein. That's terrific. Um, Shifting gears just a little bit here, uh, this idea we've talked about now protein amounts in a serving. Um, And now, you know, for, for someone who's training, this idea of even protein intake per day, there's this idea of anabolic window, of having to consume you know, a protein shake immediately after training? If someone is, you know, engaging in some strength training or if they're more of an athlete, um, is, is immediately after providing benefit? Is it the full day? Is it a combination of both?
1: Yeah, good, good question. I think, um, when I think about protein, I think that the factors uh, that are important, whether it be the dose that you're ingesting, the timing, the distribution over the day, I think the dose is probably the most important factor. So the amount per day is important. Um... But I think per meal dose is also an important factor. So you want to make sure that you're getting enough on a daily basis, Um, not only necessarily to meet minimum requirements, but if you're an athlete or someone concerned with optimal performance, um, that that might be a different number. Um, So I think that the daily amount is important, but I also think that Per meal, dose is also important if we're interested in kind of maximizing each meal's uh, effect on your body's ability to synthesize muscle tissue. You know, we've previously suggested that, you know, 20 grams is sort of this number to uh, maximize your body's ability to synthesize muscle tissue and sort of repeat feedings every couple of hours, maybe, let's say, four times per day, uh, five times per day. you know, is, is is important to consider because you can't just feed that amount, let's say, every 15 minutes, and just you know turn into uh, you know an IFBB looking bodybuilder. It just it, it doesn't happen. So if
0: I just eat, so if I just eat more protein, I'm not just going to get bigger muscles just, just 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 by consumption. Then I have to actually train as well as what you're saying. Training is
1: is is, is
0: king. <laughs> Nutrition is queen. Nice. Um,
1: and I that's not my quote, um, but um, yeah, awesome. you you got to lift. And you've got to be consistent and you got to challenge yourself um, whether you lift heavy whether you lift light you have to you have to work I mean unless you're you know genetically gifted muscle doesn't come easy and,
0: and even then I think
1: you've got to work for it and uh, you know and, and that's another and not to kind of go off topic here but there's so much I mean what's really interesting in the science world is this whole concept of responders and non-responders uh, to exercise and you know when we look at data, I, I published a paper this year in older adults looking at gains in lean body mass in older adults with resistance training. We saw people actually lose um, lean mass based on, on measures with DEXA in response to training, and some people gaining you know, seven kilos
0: after wow. six
1: months. So there's a lot of variability in terms of people's capacity to, to build muscle.
0: That's really a great point. I know we got you know, various strength coaches and whatnot listening in, personal trainers, depending on the athlete that you're working with, you really do have to have this tailored, individualized approach because if you have different body types, you know, myself working mainly with basketball players, is, is definitely a different kettle of fish than working with, say, rugby or football players. Um, so, you know, I like that sort of idea of, of the 20 grams repeated throughout the day. Would you say, you know, bodybuilders obviously tend to, to, their sport is their livelihood depends on hypertrophy, so they obviously would tend to even bump that up to, 30, 40 grams per meal. Uh, you know, one of the fears the general population has is around kidneys, you know, so uh, and I know Stu's done a lot of work around this. Like, is are there any fears for that, you know, 30, 40 gram protein intake and kidney kidney issues?
1: Um, if, you're, if you're healthy and you have healthy kidneys, um, higher protein is not going to sort of initiate um, this sort of negative cascade in terms of kidney health. If you're someone who has kidney problems to begin with, um, then yes, there, there could be a problem with um, excessive uh, protein intake. Um, but if your kidneys are healthy, it's nothing to worry about. And and in terms of bodybuilders, I mean, people have looked at you know the average protein intake of, of high level bodybuilders. You know, it's it's crazy. I mean, it can be up to you know three three and a half grams uh, per kilo per day, which is you know you're looking at five six times the, the RDA. Um, but, but, yeah, I mean... If, it's a full-time job. It's a full-time job, yeah. And, I mean, if, <laughs> yeah. you're, if you're... I mean, I guess it depends, too, on what kind of bodybuilders we are
0: talking about. But, um, and would, would you see a difference, then? Like, would you want to prioritize, obviously, real food first for, for those guys? I mean, obviously, at that dose, you've got to be supplementing or else you're never really going to get there. But, uh, right. you know, I see some bodybuilders taking, like, 60-gram protein shakes, 80-gram protein shakes, like, at that point, in terms of... Are we going to lose a little bit around the absorption side of things, or is it, you know, effectively the same as having a meal? Well,
1: my opinion is food first, um, but as you say, I mean, it can be difficult to, to get in that amount of, of protein if you're eating, um, you know, meat all the time, um, you know, but but I would recommend trying to first get your protein covered through food. Um, supplements, are, they provide a convenience factor. Um, and, and you know, dairy-based protein supplements like whey and, and casein are relatively high quality if you look at sort of their um, digestible, indispensable amino acid score, which is sort of the, the gold standard method for assessing protein quality. Um, but again, even, I mean, this is again going into a whole other topic, even though those proteins are both excellent um, from the perspective of the, you know, the, the protein scores, there are differences, again, that have been shown in their capacity to help people. Um, other, other studies have shown actually that higher amounts of protein are better for supporting whole body protein synthesis. So we kind of hone in on muscle and we take biopsies and we look at um, how your body is responding in terms of its contractile protein, so what we call the myofibrillar protein. Um, we look at mitochondrial proteins, which are the kind of energy producing proteins in, in the cell. Um, and other, other groups kind of also, and we do as well, look at kind of whole body. And it may be that, you know, doses higher than 20 grams are are perhaps more optimal to, to maximize whole body protein turnover. But
0: um, I guess the question... And so with that, you mean all the other functions, obviously, that protein has in the body, amino acids building up, tissues, exactly. tissues uh, other blood than cells, etc. I mean, right? all of our vital yep.
1: organs and so forth, obviously, you know, they have first crack in our meal. When we ingest protein, sure. only about half of it organic circulation, the first half is kind of taken up uh, by your splenic tissues and and utilized to support uh, tissue
0: synthesis in those organs. Uh, And the immune system as well, correct? The immune system is gobbling up a ton of amino acids. So if we have run-down athletes, run-down people, I mean, this idea of even protein intake becomes pretty essential, right, in terms of just supporting them as a sort of person, even before they're an athlete, to keep them catching colds and flus, et cetera.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, um, you know, other studies have also looked at whether the amount of lean body mass that you have, uh, let's say you're, uh, you know, uh, whatever, a uh, 60-kilogram uh, male versus a 100-kilogram male, does the amount of protein that really differ. In a study, again, you know, not that long ago, wasn't able to really show a big difference. The groups were about Uh, a 15-gram difference, or sorry, 15-kilo difference in terms of uh, lean body mass, and it it didn't really appear to to impact um, how the body responded. But, um, you know, other people have kind of refined the dose that you need to about 0.25 grams per kilo if you really want to kind of hone it in. So it may be that if you're a big big guy, let's say 110 kilos or something, the amount you you need uh, might be a little bit more than, let's say, a a 65-kilogram endurance athlete or something like that um so about 0.25 grams per kilo would, would, would translate into some differences between bigger and smaller individuals
0: awesome now total aside question here i know obviously in the scientific world we work in kilos but now that you live in europe do you think of everything in kilos now like is I it do. Do, you, do you do you list your body weight as kilos yeah i, it, I had that I, when i lived in london
1: yeah i mean, i I've totally i totally switched I, I, I mean when i got here and i was I you know, started going to the gym. I was just thrown off and doing all the math in on my head and counting on the fingers every time I put any weight on the bar. Um,
0: That's awesome. But now
1: I'm, oh. uh, I'm fully. I mean, it's, it's a simple system now. I, I get it. I'm still the thing I still don't get are, are like stones. Oh, pop.
0: tell me about it. I got to London. I didn't know what the hell a stone was. I mean, people are telling me they how many stones they weigh.
1: Yeah, you know, something I still I haven't I haven't figured out. Whatever.
0: Good stuff, man. Well, one of the things, obviously, we're into the new year here, you know, body composition, fat loss is a, yeah. is a major goal for for clients. I mean, general population, we're up to two-thirds, almost three-quarters of the population overweight or obese. And in, in, in North America, we almost have one out of two being pre-diabetic. So this idea of, of increasing protein intake to help with uh, fat loss. Right. Is there a physiological mechanism by which protein helps us to, to burn more fat or get leaner, for that matter?
1: Yeah. Um, there, there is, again, some, some data showing that um, sort of increasing uh, protein intake during an energy deficit, which would be kind of the requirement in order to lose body fat, um, can help um, kind of accelerate fat mass loss, but also spare um, lean body mass. So when most people kind of go on a diet, um, usually about... Um, 75% of the weight that's lost is fat, but about a quarter of the weight that's lost is lean tissue. So it's about a, about a three to one ratio. Um, but if you increase the um, protein intake during that energy deficit and you also engage in resistance exercise, which again serves as a stimulus in order to support um, the accretion of muscle protein or, or you know, the building of muscle, then that also Further enhances your body's ability to kind of hang on to muscle tissue during an energy
0: deficit. And that's a really important point. I mean, lean muscle mass is a phenomenal marker for overall health. We see a lot of research around healthy aging and just maintaining lean muscle mass. So that's a really, a really key point. Now, in terms of things like even satiety, I mean, we know protein... You know, we feel that protein makes us feel full. Is that is that a is that a real thing? Is that going to help us get between one meal and the next if we do increase the protein intake or have a protein rich snack between meals?
1: Yeah, I think um, yeah. There's definitely evidence that you know protein is, is certainly uh, satiating. So when you eat that, you feel satisfied, you feel full. Um, you know, it, 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 it it's a great option. Um, I mean, I think the one thing that you have to be a bit concerned about as an athlete though is if you're if you're um, cutting down on your carbohydrate intake, I mean, carbohydrates can serve as a you know, very important fuel uh, during high-intensity exercise. And if you don't have that in the tank, uh, it becomes more challenging to sustain high-intensity exercise. So other people have recommended when you go into these energy deficits um, that you 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 know you cut calories in terms of fat. Um, but I, I think, it's, yeah, perhaps it's... Uh, yeah, an individual thing to, to sort of find out, you know, how you perform. And I think most elite level athletes aren't just going to take things at face value. They know what what works best for them. But um, in terms of, uh, um, you know, um, cutting down too low on carbs during during weight loss, I think you're going to compromise high intensity exercise performance. So I think we need to keep some carbs in there as well. But keep keep exercise um, going, specifically resistance exercise to help Promote the retention of lean mass and increase the
0: protein intake as well. That's a fantastic point because I think a lot of times we lose track, or you know, even a strength coach or busy personal trainer, you lose track of the clarity of the of the client's goals. You know, what are they? Are they really performance driven? And like you mentioned, there at high intensities, carbohydrates are the primary fuel. So we got to make sure that if we do need to get an athlete leaner, we're not compromising the uh, the workouts. Yeah. Now, how would that change a little bit if we did have, let's say, your average overweight client, 20, 30, 40 pounds to lose, you know, likely consistently high insulin, pre-diabetic blood sugar levels, that type of thing? In terms of, you know, is there obviously with the the protein intake, satiety is a big one because hunger comes up with a lot of these clients, um, you know, due to these blood sugar imbalances. So, is there any worries for them if they eat too much protein, they're going to get fatter? If someone's uh, holding on to that kind of weight, or is that is that level pretty pretty sky high they'd have to reach? If at all. Yeah, I
1: mean, it's, it's a good question. I mean, um, I think it's difficult, not impossible, but difficult to, to get fat from overeating protein. Um, you know, there was some, some research done by, by a guy named Jose Antonio. Who I know you've been involved with the ISSN and some of their conferences and stuff. And he's done some research looking at, you know, pretty, pretty high protein intakes in the in, in, uh, you know, trained, trained individuals, and, you know, he, he did a study over a year and wasn't able to detect uh, an increase in um, fat mass gain in um, individuals, you know, ingesting, I think it was only three grams per kilogram body weight per day
0: of protein. Um, yeah, which for the for the listener out there, I mean, that three grams per kilogram, if you go home and work <laughs> out the mass, that's a, that's a good, that's a lot of, that's a full-time that, that, job. That, that, You're eating a lot of protein in a day.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean you know, it was... It was uh, it, not an easy study to, to carry out. Um, I mean, part of part of the issue in science with these nutrition studies is, you know, it's, it's, it's challenging to um, monitor the way that we would always like to um, how people are eating. A lot of times, um, we have people fill out diet records, um, but there have also been some interesting studies done where they bring basically people into metabolic wards, so they're kind of living, you know at the lab, so to speak, almost, and they're kind of being watched for eight weeks of every meal they eat. All of the food is controlled. And there was a study that basically looked at, uh, it was an overfeeding study. So what happens when we give people um, excess energy? And what they did was they uh, manipulated the excess energy to be either 5% protein, 15% protein, or 25% protein. And what they showed, essentially, is that the uh, the excess energy, so let's say the extra thousand calories, the excess energy is, uh, is what's determining fat mass gain. But the, the higher protein groups tended to also actually support uh, an increase in lean tissue mass. Um, Interesting. So higher protein when you're overeating might actually result in greater weight gain. Um, but a big portion of that weight is actually lean tissue. Whether that's actually skeletal muscle, uh,
0: they didn't really assess that. Um, they used Could they tell which ones were doing push-ups in their wards, or? Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, good question. I think yeah. they. Some guy brought in a
1: squat rack and probably uh, yeah, camera exactly. yeah. or night. But um, yeah, it, it, it's interesting. But I think if you overconsume energy, uh, it's possible to yeah, you're gonna you're gonna put on fat. Um, but again, it, it's hard. To do that with protein again because you're you're, you feel satisfied um, to just cram in an extra thousand calories a day from from protein is
0: not easy, yeah. And I think that's one of the uh, almost sort of one of the secrets of when the average person tries to lose weight and we put them on, say, a lower carb diet is that we always tend to focus on the carbs. But when you put somebody on a lower carb diet, you tend to just get a caloric deficit by default without really thinking about it, yeah. Um, And of course, protein consumption is kind of one of the main. The main tools there to help people, and I think people also, the general public tends to forget. And you could probably speak to this as well. But just the nutrient density of a lot of the animal proteins. I mean, when we look at things like zinc and selenium and iron and magnesium. I mean, there's some pretty phenomenal. Uh, I just did an infographic the other day on zinc. I mean, a thousand percent of your RDA for zinc and oysters. Okay, <laughs> it's wow. It's just like, it's just phenomenal, you know. Yeah,
1: no, no, uh, absolutely. I mean, that's um, the, the nutrient density of these higher quality animal proteins. If you look at the number of Calories that you would need to ingest, let's say eat um, 25 grams of protein from beef or chicken, versus the amount of energy you would need to ingest to get 25 grams of protein, let's say from bread or from peanuts. Um, sort of these lower quality proteins, the energy is, is a lot higher. So you can basically bring in less energy and more protein in, you know, high quality, you know, eggs, beef, fish. Uh, versus with some of these lower quality proteins, you actually need to eat quite a bit more energy in order to obtain that that amount we're looking for.
0: So now I don't normally eat bread, but is that why I can nail a couple of baguettes then if I uh, if I Man, do uh, let loose with the uh, I, I rarely used to, on the starches? I, I rarely
1: used to eat bread, but coming to the Netherlands, uh, I've developed more of an appreciation for bread. Although I don't eat it for lunch every day, like a lot of my colleagues, uh, I sort of bring my own meals and heat them up, and I think some of them are quite impressed. You know, I still. One of those guys that do the Tupperware thing every once in a while, um, but but, awesome. but I do eat more bread than I used to
0: living in Europe. But it's a big difference in Europe. I mean, I lived in the south of France for a year, and they make their bread from scratch. They they break the flour out and everything else. It's not this sort of packaged bread you get here in North America, where you could put a piece in your palm and just cr- crush it all up, and the bread would just disappear well, in your hand because it's all uh, I, I've met, you know, it's got no substance to no, it. No, very true. I've
1: met some real bread connoisseurs here. They they can tell the difference between uh, you know the bread they get here in the Netherlands. I had like a, a friend who's German, and they're just going on and on about like German bread, and they like drive to Germany, which is not that far from where I where I live, to, to, just to buy bread because it's that much better, which is kind of foreign to me, and I was really curious. I went in, I'm to try some German bread because I yeah.
0: No, no, they must be putting some. They must be getting some beer in there too, because I know the Germans. That's the other thing. They're very, you know, beer over there is phenomenal. I mean, let's talk about purity. But yeah, anyway, we we were <laughs> sidetracking here. I like I like to dance back to protein. Now, if we if we jump back into athletes, so endurance athletes, strength athletes, we tend to always think of strength athletes as those are the ones that really need to get their protein in, and we kind of forget about the endurance athletes. Any any comments there on in terms of who might be breaking down more? Uh, muscle tissue are requiring, you know, higher amounts of protein?
1: Yeah, good question. I mean, I think that the endurance athletes, and, you know, studies, we've known this for years, that the, the protein requirements of endurance athletes are, are actually elevated. Um, part of this is likely due to the fact that you oxidize amino acids as fuel if you're training intensely. Um, so those amino acids need to be replaced during, during exercise. Um... It may even
0: be basically. You're saying you're burning, you're burning protein, you're burning the amino acid building blocks of protein while you're exercising. So for those, yeah, those endurance athletes, definitely, yeah, it's going to be more of that than our strength athletes.
1: Yeah, I mean, particularly if you're not getting adequate fuel through, let's say, carbohydrates and so forth, um, you can you can certainly end up. I mean, it depends on your training volume as well. I think, kilometers, um, clocking for week and so forth. Um, but usually, I mean, the, the protein recommendations for endurance athletes are about, usually, I think about 1.3 to 1.7 grams per kilogram per day. Um, but in terms of, you know, we know a lot about post-exercise recovery from resistance exercises we were talking about. Um, but we know a lot less about the role of protein in terms of promoting um, remodeling and recovery after endurance exercise. And there's a real need to kind, of, to kind of look at that, I think. Um,
0: we don't have and would that be then taking in protein shakes after endurance type training? Or, or
1: yeah, I mean, again, I'm, I'm a food guy, but I, I mean, yeah. the thing with or
0: protein doses yeah, of protein, meals, etc. Exactly.
1: I mean, whey is great because it's high quality, it's high in leucine, um, and it's very. You know, sometimes you'd rather have like a vanilla, you know, smoothie after a workout than sit down and have you know a steak or chicken. Maybe a little bit more refreshing. There's a convenience factor throw it in your bag, add some water, and shake it up after a workout. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that there, there is a role. I mean, studies have looked at this. Studies have looked at, um, you know, with endurance exercise, what happens when you ingest protein afterwards? Um, because part of the hypothesis is that the protein that you eat is actually going to facilitate the synthesis of mitochondrial protein. So mitochondria, obviously... You know, critical for the endurance athlete, and and wanting to optimize mitochondrial function and, and, and remodeling,
0: and mitochondria being those little those little furnaces in each cell that are that are giving us that that energy. Yeah, correct?
1: those are those are sort of your your energy producing powerhouses, and it, you know, play an important role, a critical role in
0: facilitating
1: um, energy provision to to working muscle.
0: Um, and and if we look into even pre versus post, yeah. is there differences there in terms of I mean obviously with even athletes trying to get bigger, there's the pre shake, sometimes even the the peri workout it, during the workout shake, the post shake. You know, is there one window that's better than another, or do we know enough to say? Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, good questions. I mean, a lot of a lot of you know again with these protein synthesis studies. I mean, I'm I'm a scientist, and that that's the kind of work I do. Um, in terms of protein synthesis. Um, There is evidence that the post-exercise period is um, perhaps a better time. Uh, There's also evidence, actually, though, that prior to exercise is also better. But that might also differ depending on whether you're ingesting protein or um, crystalline amino acids. But generally, post-exercise protein uh, intake is thought to be the the best time to do it. Part of it is that when you're you're actually exercising, um, muscle protein synthesis, it's thought to be depressed because it's an energy-requiring process. Um, As you're expending energy on, you know, fueling, uh, working muscles, synthesizing protein during the exercise bout is not really a high priority for the body. So ingesting protein beforehand, it just, it doesn't really get utilized in the same way we think in terms of in, ingesting it afterwards in order to help. Replenish lost substrates
0: and, and, and enhance the synthesis of, of muscle protein uh, because that's really what but do you think that would be. E- so just in, do you think that would even be lesser than if you're doing a shake during the workout? I mean, if even pre is is less prioritized, I mean, obviously with blood shunting away from digestive organs, like right. is that going to be? Are, are we benefiting there? Are we you know with with that during the workout, or would you prefer even you know amino acids versus something that's more easily taken up versus an actual? you know, 25, 30-gram protein shake?
1: I don't I don't really think there's a need to ingest something before your workout, during your workout, and after your workout. I mean, from the, from what we know scientifically, there's not a lot of support for that. You know, other people working out in the gym, maybe they think that, yeah, there's a benefit to that. I know there's a lot of guys on the internet who push that and so forth, but scientifically there's just not, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me.
0: Um, like at the end of the day if we're hitting our protein intake per day and as you mentioned this idea of maximizing so every three or four hours of hypertrophy or if you're an athlete of getting that minimum dose, and that's you know, those should be our, our big goals then, you know, first and foremost well, for the athlete. Yeah, I
1: mean obviously the, the recommendations are always gonna based on be based on your goals. Like what are you trying to achieve? Are we talking simply about, you know, building muscles in the gym? Are we talking about, you know, lifting as much weight as possible in terms of in terms of, you know, getting getting uh you know, performing in a workout or an event. Um, you know, I think I think, you know, being uh fully fueled and maybe, you know, having some caffeine to kind of, you know, um, be kind of revved up for your workout, um, that's where I would probably put most of my emphasis and then afterwards think more about, you know, replenishing substrates through, you know, replacing lost fluids, replacing lost carbohydrates based on, you know, breaking down and utilizing muscle glycogen with energy and then replacing um, or enhancing your body's ability to remodel um, muscle after exercise, but it, it, it always—I mean—everything that we talk about—it always has to be kind of judged based on an individual's goal and what that is.
0: That's fantastic. I mean, it definitely always coming back to that idea of again having clarity in your goals. What is it you're actually trying to accomplish is, is massive. Um, so, I mean, thanks so much for for so much great information here. You could definitely go down this road for. For hours and hours, and keep picking your brain. Yeah. You, you did. You did mention something around caffeine there, which is ironically dovetails into a very hot topic for this podcast, which is how all of our guests take their coffee in the morning if they do take coffee. Yeah. So, can you enlighten us with your morning uh, Java ritual? I am
1: coffee is, is. I respect the bean. You know, I'm a, <laughs> good. Yeah. Good to hear. Good to hear. I, I respect the bean. I take coffee making extremely seriously. Um. um yeah, basically, I, I, man, I take it any, any way as long as it's good. I take it black like my soul. Um, nice, nice, <laughs> awesome. No, I shouldn't say that. Um, I, I like, you know what, I like a French press. I like the Bodum, but I also like a really, really good espresso. But espresso, I'm much more pickier when it comes to espresso. Um, other than that, I like a French press. I have my own French press. I, I buy whole beans, grind, get the ratios right. Uh, and enjoyment. It's like a morning ritual, you know. I, I wake up. Is
0: there a timing there? Is it right when you get up? Are you got a few going there in the morning. What's uh, yeah? P- people want to know, Tyler. People want to know. Sci- scientists around the world are trying to figure out how yeah. they can maximize their uh,
1: my my I'm, my morning ritual. My morning ritual. Um, it's changed a bit since I became a dad. Um, <laughs> tends to do that, yeah. doesn't it? It's a weird thing. Uh, if I have if I have the possibility, man, I like to take you know. Ten minutes for myself to just kind of, um, you know, practice mindfulness and meditation in the morning, for about ten minutes. Uh, I Do a little bit of journaling, uh, practice gratitude, and uh, then I make my coffee. If I'm feeling really fatigued, I make coffee first and, and do the other stuff after. Um,
0: that's a pretty pretty fantastic trifecta there in the morning. I know a lot of high performers are, uh, you know, that those are those are common themes. So that's uh, that's great advice man for sure yeah, and and I can't say I,
1: you know I, I didn't come up with that it's something that I started actually as a as sort of a New year's resolution um, that I kind of wanted to to work on I mean I think um, yeah it's it's important to, to, to
0: practice gratitude it's, it's amazing what that does. yeah the, I mean, the research around that at the moment is just phenomenal as well. Now, if people want to keep tabs on all the amazing research, I mean, again, you you yourself are just doing. Uh, can you tell us anything about what you're doing? I know it's like top secret, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, no, no, one can know. But any teasers or how can we keep in touch with you in terms of what you're doing? Are you on Twitter or that type of
1: thing? Uh, I I am on Twitter, but I you know to be honest, I've been I've been I haven't been tweeting a lot. I should get back into that. Um,
0: yeah, keep us posted Keep you posted on your
1: yeah um, I mean you can follow follow PubMed I mean there's there's a lot of great research not only uh, from, from the lab I'm a part of but like, there's colleagues from all over the world I mean um, PubMed is a great resource um, You can you know, type in my name if you want to to follow exactly kind of what I'm up to in terms of science um, uh, my supervisor Luke van Loon I and mean, the amount of work that he's done is tremendous Stuart Phillips. Uh, you know, amazing, amazing work going on over there
0: Master as well. And um, yeah, I gotta get, I gotta get more focused on my uh, social media. But I also meant to be honest. We'll with, we'll keep harassing you. Don't I, worry. We'll keep. We're, we're gonna put your Twitter <laughs> handle. We're gonna put your Twitter handle on the show notes, and everyone can uh, yeah. can hit up Tyler for all this great information. Because I mean, absolute expert um, in, in, in protein and all things exercise. So Tyler, thanks a million, man, for for coming on here. Really appreciate it. And uh, we will have to get over there to europe soon so we can break some german bread and beer yeah man
1: if not let's let's, let's uh let's meet in to and uh you know uh yeah sit down uh, for a couple cobblestone ales
0: maybe that's good <laughs> man thanks again everyone for tuning in as always you can find all the links and a podcast summary in the show notes at dr forward slash podcast If you have any questions or comments, I'd love to hear from you on Facebook or Twitter at Dr. Bubs. Of course, if you enjoy the show, subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Until next time, thanks for listening.
1: The Dr. Bubs
0: Performance Podcast endeavors to provide accurate and helpful information to listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional
1: before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Dr. Bub's Performance Podcasts.